This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome back everyone to the first and inshallah ta'ala we are getting closer and closer to Ramadan. And uh, I know that many of you have been asking about the Ramadan series. It's coming soon, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, we should be announcing it sometime next week, and of course, until then, inshallah, we're going to have plenty of Ramadan prep material that's going to be coming out in the next few weeks. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to live to see Ramadan, to forgive us for our shortcomings, to accept our Ramadan, our deeds in it and beyond. Allahumma ameen. And uh, tonight, bithnillahi ta'ala, we get to spend a night discussing one of our mothers and one of the most uh, overlooked mothers of the believers, even though, subhanAllah, she has such a place with the Prophet wasallam, and therefore should have such a place in our hearts. And her name is Sauda bint Zama'a radiallahu ta'ala anha. And I'll actually share a personal story before I even start talking about her. You know, when I used to teach Sunday school, and we would cover the mothers of the believers. Sauda bint Zam'a would be someone that would not only be forgotten quickly by students, but uh, people would say her name wrong. So I remember hearing all types of names from you know students about Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha. But she is literally the second wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the first woman to marry the Prophet sallallahu after Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And someone that just has such an incredible story and it is as if when you read her story that her being overlooked was intentional by her, that she preferred a life of obscurity even in her times, radiallahu ta'ala anha, to a point that she withdrew from public life, radiallahu ta'ala anha, uh, throughout her entire life to where even her death, as we'll see, uh, is not even known in terms of the exact date, though she is one of the mothers of the believers, the wife of the Prophet Now, within the story of Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha, we see that there were all types of people around her that would count from as-sabiqoon al-awwaloon, count from the firsts. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to do justice to them uh, in this small lecture that we will have tonight bin the ta'ala. So first, let's start with her parents. Her father was Zam'a ibn Qais ibn Abd al-Shams. He's from the clan of Amr ibn Luhay, uh, the man who first brought idols to Mecca. Uh, you know, so it's a powerful clan. And this is the same clan as the mother of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. So she's related to Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And her mother was Ashams bin Qais uh, bin Zayd bin Amr from the Najjar clan in Medina from the tribe of Khazraj. So Najjar was a sub-tribe of Khazraj in Medina. And that also makes her uh, related to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in a way because uh, Abdul Muttalib's mother was from them. And so uh, her, her, uh, her parents, uh, her mother in particular was a cousin of Abdul Muttalib. So there is a relationship to the Prophet wasallam from her mother's side, a relationship to Khadija anha from her father's side. And what's important as we're setting the, the you know, setting the grounds for her hijrah and the way that she will endure uh, persecution or lack of persecution is that she was blessed with having powerful family in both Mecca and Medina and that would be a protection for her from any physical harm upon her embracing of Islam. Her physical description, which is important in that sense, is that she was she's described as tawila, thaqila, 
uh, Jasimin. She was very tall, very heavy set, um, j- just had a very big uh, uh, physical uh, presence, radiallahu ta'ala anha. And when we look at her age compared to the Prophet it seems that she was about five years older than the Prophet which would mean that the first two women that the Prophet married were both older than him as we know Khadija was older than him as well Now before she marries the Prophet like all of the wives of the Prophet with the exception of Aisha she was married to someone else and her husband was a man by the name of Sakran ibn Amr. And Sakran ibn Amr was the brother of Suhail ibn Amr. Now we talked a little bit about Suhail ibn Amr in the story of Abu Hudayfa. And Suhail ibn Amr, of course, is the man who was the chief negotiator of Quraysh uh, with the Prophet wasallam against the Prophet وسلم, if you will, in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, but who would, of course, one day uh, become a Muslim and become a companion of the Messenger But Suhail ibn Amr is a powerful man. So Suhail is her brother-in-law. Okay, Suhail is her brother-in-law. So let's talk about the family dynamics a bit. Let's start with her. Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha, it said that she had about five children uh, before embracing Islam. Um, and that would have been from uh, either a previous marriage or through her marriage with Sakran ibn Amr. And she has uh, also two brothers who she called to Islam as well. One of them is named Malik ibn Zam'a. And Malik ibn Zam'a is also, though there is no biographical detail about him, one of the first Muslims through Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha. And he and his wife, Malik ibn Zam'a, and his wife, whose name was Umayra, made hijrah to Habasha and Medina. So they're from those that made the two migrations to Abyssinia and Medina, and they died without any children. So this is her brother, Malik ibn Zam'a, and his wife, Umayra, who were from the first Muslims as well, that we have no biographical details about. But subhanAllah, what an honorable position that they were amongst those who were from Ashab al-Hijratayn, those that made the two migrations for the sake of Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala. She also has another brother who has a, a, uh, a funny story that we'll cover later on, uh, whose name is Abd ibn Zam'a. And Abd ibn Zam'a, uh, unlike Malik, strongly opposed Islam in the very beginning and uh, was, was in strong opposition to the Prophet and in strong opposition to his brother Malik and in strong opposition to his sister Sauda. And he would become Muslim much later on. So uh, her two brothers, Malik, became Muslim ta'ala anhu, immediately. And her other brother, Abd, became Muslim much later on, but also died as a Muslim. Ta'ala anhu. Uh, now, when it comes to her husband, Sakran ibn Amr, Sakran ibn Amr, as we said, is the brother of Suhail ibn Amr. And this is where, again, you start to uncover the family dynamics. Um, Suhail ibn Amr and his brother Sahl ibn Amr were amongst those that opposed Islam very strongly. There are another two brothers that became Muslim so early on, along with Sakran ibn Amr, so there are five brothers in total, uh, so three of them became Muslim before Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So we're talking about some of the first Muslims and they all made the hijrah to Abyssinia. They all um, uh, migrated to Abyssinia to escape persecution. So you have Sakran ibn Amr, you have Hatib ibn Amr, and you have a man by the name of Salit ibn Amr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So three of them 
became Muslim early on and made the Hijrah to Abyssinia. As for Suhail and Sahel, they also would become Muslim, but of course, much later on after living in opposition to uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So it's an interesting dynamic that all five of them became Muslim. Three of them became Muslim early, two of them became Muslim later. And in the case of Sauda and her two brothers, two of them became Muslim early and one of them held out, but he also became Muslim later on and they all died upon Islam radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. So let's get back to Sauda. Sauda and Sakran ibn Amr are considered from the first batch of Muslims. They embraced Islam at Darul Arqam with the Prophet and they were immediately disowned. We don't have much about their initial embrace of Islam, except that we know that they're from the earliest batch. And SubhanAllah, you think about those names that I just mentioned, uh, very few Muslims know them, right? Unless you're deeply looking into the books, but imagine their station with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, what they endured and having the distinction of making the Hijrah. Uh, twice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now let's talk about Sauda. Sauda and Sakran made hijrah to Abyssinia and in Abyssinia they had one son by the name of Abdurrahman. So there was only one child that Sauda would have in Islam and that was with her husband Sakran ibn Amr and her son Abdurrahman uh, would actually go on to, uh, to be a great companion, a great warrior and he would be killed in the time of Umar ibn Khattab anhu, as a shaheed in the famous uh, battle of Jalula, uh, which was a battle with the Persians. So her one son in Islam with Sakran ibn Amr, Abdurrahman, becomes uh, a great Sahabi, a great warrior, and he dies in, this, in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what happens here? This story of women that migrated with their husbands to Abyssinia and their husbands die, um, is is a very you know is is a recurring theme that we see with some of the uh, companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You have Sauda and Sakran, and Sauda sees this dream. And if you remember with Um Salama, she saw a dream. Um Habiba saw a dream. Sauda also sees a dream, and she actually has two dreams. The first dream, she sees the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam come to her in her dream. And she is laying down and the Prophet kneels next to her neck. So she wakes up and she thinks this is a really interesting dream. And her husband is still alive and they're in Abyssinia. And she goes to Sakran, her husband, and she says to Sakran anhu, she said, look, I saw this dream of the Prophet coming and kneeling next to me. Listen to the response of her husband. Sakran anhu says, if your dream is true, then I'm going to die soon and the Prophet is going to marry you. And Sauda reacts with just complete shock, like, wait, no way. He says, Hijran wa sitran, tanfi an nafsi hadak. That how could that be? She denied it. There's no way that that would happen. First of all, of course, you know, saying that to your husband, your husband responding that I'm going to die and the Prophet is going to marry you, and nothing was wrong with him, and they're both companions, was strange. So she said, Of course not. You know, what what kind of interpretation is that, right? Then the next night. She sees a dream where the moon comes into her home and lands right next to her, which is also a familiar theme with the Prophet ﷺ, right? The moon descending in your home. So she wakes up the next day and she tells her husband, Sakran anhu, she says to him, you know, I had this dream that the moon was coming into my home and it came next to me. Sakran anhu says, you know, basically, I probably don't have long before I die and the Prophet ﷺ is going to marry you. 
So subhanAllah, I mean, they're in Abyssinia, far away. Nothing is wrong with them. They have a child together born in Abyssinia. And Soda is, you know, th there is no indication of any type of marriage with the Prophet ﷺ in the present or the future. Her husband is healthy. They migrated together to Abyssinia. And her husband is the one interpreting her dream for her. Two dreams, that I'm going to die and the Prophet ﷺ is going to marry you. And subhanAllah, what ends up happening? Uh, Sakran who dies in Abyssinia. And you'll find some of the books will, will say um, that he became Christian. And that, of course, is actually a mix-up with the story of Um Habiba and there's nothing to establish that. So Sakran ibn Amr who dies as one of the earliest companions of the Prophet وسلم, a man who we have very little of, but he is the husband of uh, a woman that would go on to marry the Prophet وسلم, and the father of a great martyr in Abdurrahman ibn Sakran So he dies in Habasha and she's left in limbo. Sauda has a old father who is blind and she has her son who was still very young at the time and she has no one to help her. And as we said, at this point now, she's in her 50s. She has up to five other children that we have no information on. And she's in this, she's in this, this difficult situation. Her family has already disowned her. So she's a widow and she's a convert in a strange land. And she basically waited in Abyssinia to be able to travel back to Mecca with some of the members of her husband's tribe. So she comes back to Mecca. She settles in Mecca, sort of as an outcast from her family. But again, uh, she's not being persecuted or punished the way that others are due to her uh, tribal connections. And she's basically just waiting in this situation of limbo without any end in sight. And she's not considered marriageable for most of that time, right? She's kind of at this point uh, planning out the rest of her life to be uh, an older widow with her children that will pass away and you know is just seeking that reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what happens with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam of course has just lost the love of his life Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And he has two daughters in the house with him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. One of them extremely young and that was Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha and Fatima's older sister Umm Kulthum radiallahu ta'ala anha. How is that the case? Remember that Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu married two daughters of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Zainab radiallahu anha was already married and she was older. And uh, we talked about Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha and her husband. Uh, so then you have Ruqayya, Umm Kulthum and Fatima. Ruqayya at that time radiallahu ta'ala anha was married to Uthman radiallahu anhu, right? And so Umm Kulthum and Fatima are left in the house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. May Allah be pleased with them. And when Ruqayya would die in the, you know, on the day of the Battle of Badr, then Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu after that would of course marry Umm Kulthum radiallahu ta'ala anha and Fatima radiallahu anha would marry Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So at this point now though, we're looking at 10 years after the revelation, we're looking at Am al-Huzun, the year of sadness where the Prophet وسلم, has lost Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha and he has lost his uncle Abu Talib within days and he has faced the worst rejection of his life from Ta'if. So he's coming back from Ta'if, you know, which is miles out, facing you know, the most difficult time of his life. He has no one to come home to at this point. And the Prophet ﷺ was in grief for months, right? And it's really important to mention here, not to go back to Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, but you know, 
when, when people say, why didn't the Prophet ﷺ marry another woman while being married to Khadija? I mean, do you really think after knowing the biography of Khadija عنها, that she would have objected knowing her selflessness and her personality at the time? And, you know, of course this was the norm. But the Prophet ﷺ had such a place for Khadija عنها, that even after she died, the Prophet ﷺ did not immediately get remarried. And he was والسلام, now himself 50 years old having only been married to Khadija So the Prophet ﷺ is in a state of intense sadness. He has his two young girls at home. And clearly uh, the Prophet ﷺ is not the same in terms of his, 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 uh, his grief. And that's why it's called Amul Huzn, the year of grief. So then you have the matchmaker. Her name was Khawla bint Hakim. And Khawla bint Hakim anha was considered the matchmaker in that, you know, in the community of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She happened to be the daughter of Umayyah ibn Harith, who was also a chief from uh, Banu Asad. So she's a relative of Khadija radiallahu anha. And she was married to a great companion by the name of Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Khawla uh, radiallahu anha wanted to get the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi married. And the Prophet Sallallahu had spent some time now after the death of Khadija radiallahu anha mourning her and there are difficult moments ahead and the Prophet Sallallahu cannot take care of his two young girls by himself, right? There, there has to be uh, someone to assist him in that. So Khawla comes to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and listen to what she says to him. She said, Ya Rasulullah, ka'anni araka qad Khadija. She said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, what is the sadness that this grief that I have seen come to you out of the death of Khadija radiallahu anha. You're missing her so much that you're, you're different. And the Prophet ﷺ responded and he said, Umm al-Iyal wa Rabbat al-Bayt, that, you know, she's, she's, she's my, my beloved wife. She's, she was also the mother of my children. Who is there after Khadija radiallahu anha, right? Who is there after Khadija that could, that could fill her place radiallahu ta'ala anha? And the answer, of course, was that no one would ever take the place of Khadija radiallahu anha. But the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was also going to get remarried. And so Khawla says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, look, you know, it's time for you to consider getting remarried. And I have two people in mind for you, Ya Rasulullah. She said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that one of them is uh, a, a widow and she's older and one of them is a young girl. She's young enough and both of them are going to be uh, good choices for you. So the Prophet ﷺ said, who are they? So the Prophet ﷺ said, as for the young lady, she's the daughter of the most beloved of people to you. Who was that? Aisha, the daughter of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. May Allah be pleased with Aisha and Abu Bakr. Allahumma ameen. And of course, Aisha radiallahu anha was still too young to actually have the marriage consummated, to walk, to, 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 to move in with the Prophet ﷺ. So Aisha radiallahu anha is someone that you should consider. And the Prophet said, who is the other one? She said, Sauda bint Zam'a. And why did she suggest Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha? Because Sauda, of course, was one of the first people to embrace Islam. And Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha had a very loving and humorous personality. And she was one of the first people to believe in the Prophet She suffered greatly for it. And she still was just a person that brought so much joy wherever she went. And that is going to be the quality that sticks with Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha is joy. And because it's Amul Huzun, 
It is the year of grief. The prophet Sallallahu needs joy in his life. He needs laughter and happiness in his house as a result of this. This is a person that should be brought to his life. And Khawla radiallahu anha says, and she's someone that never argues with anyone. She never has any problem getting along with other people. So she's not combative. She's not confrontational. She's easygoing and she is loving and she is full of humor. Radiallahu ta'ala anha. So Sauda radiallahu anha, at her age and you know, in, in a situation where she was not someone who was looked at for marriage at that point in her life, radiallahu ta'ala anha. You know, this is going to be, despite the dreams that she had, quite the proposal to her, right? But the Prophet gives Khawla bint Hakim, uh, radiallahu anha, the permission to speak to both Abu Bakr, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and to the family of Sauda, radiallahu ta'ala anha. So Khawla goes straight to Sauda and she says to Sauda radiallahu anha, would you like that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestow a mighty blessing upon you? So Sauda says, what is that, ya Khawla? She says that Rasulullah sallallahu has sent me to you with a proposal of marriage. And Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha was completely astonished, taken aback by the proposal from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And she replies in the affirmative that, of course, she would love to be married to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So Khawla goes to Zama, and Zama was an elderly man and he was blind. And he, she says to him that Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib has sent me to ask on his behalf for the hand of Sauda uh, in marriage. So he was happy because he said, what a noble match, right? He's thinking about it from a lineage perspective. So what a noble match this would be, what a perfect match that this would be for her. And so uh, he calls for Sauda. He says to Sauda that this woman has come proposing on behalf of Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib sallallahu alayhi wasallam and is asking for your hand in marriage. Do you want me to marry him to you? And Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha accepts. So at that point, uh, Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha goes to the Prophet sallallahu and she says to the Prophet sallallahu she's dedicating herself to the Prophet sallallahu to the Messenger of Allah. The Prophet sallallahu says, you know, to, to have someone from your, 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 uh, your, your folk, your male folk, uh, that would marry you off. So she uh, brings forth Hatib ibn Amr, uh, who of course was her brother-in-law, was the brother of Sakran uh, ibn Amr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he marries her to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now at this point, there is that one brother, right? We said that Sauda had two brothers. She had one who became Muslim and who made the migration to Abyssinia as well. And she had another brother by the name of Abd ibn Zama, who would become Muslim later on, but at this point was a staunch enemy of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Look at what he does. He protests the marriage. They're still in Mecca. This is a you know this is the year of grief. This is a, around the hardest time of the Prophet life, and he goes to the Kaaba, and he puts dirt on his head, and he starts to slap his head, and he starts to cry out of protest, right, and 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 lamenting that the Prophet has married Sauda radiAllahu taala anha. Imagine how Abd ibn Zama felt when he became Muslim later on. Right, knowing that he did that, that he stood in front of the Kaaba and protested, who he now knows and recognizes as the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, becoming his brother-in-law, marrying his sister. So Abd ibn Zama, he used to say that I, you know, I remember uh, a day that I was a silly person. Inni I was 
completely silly, right? To put it kindly. What a silly person I was, putting dirt on my head that the Messenger of Allah married my sister, Sauda, and of course, uh, as we said, he would become Muslim later on as well. So the mahar for Sauda was 400 dirhams. And I think this is something that is very important to just set the scene in terms of the role that Sauda plays. For three years, listen very carefully, for three years, she was the only wife with the Prophet right? How is it that a woman that plays such a prominent role in his life is so unknown? Three years, it was just her and him Because Aisha while the proposal was accepted, they would wait for her to come of age three years later, and then she would consummate the marriage with the Prophet So for three years, it's just Sauda with the Prophet What is What are the implications of that? That means that Al-Isra' wal-Mi'raj, right? Which obviously we just got done many programs that people have about Al-Isra' wal-Mi'raj in the time of Rajab. Um, you know, and talking about Asa'u al-Mi'raj, that she was the wife of the Prophet at that time. And she was the only wife of the Prophet at that time. That when the Prophet made the hijrah to Medina, the only wife he had at the time that he was living with was Sauda radiallahu anha. That when he came to Medina and the Prophet set up his initial home of the hujurat, of the, of, of the homes of the Messenger وسلم, this was the only woman that would have her, uh, her home with the Prophet So think about how close she was to the Prophet and think about how much history is there between Sauda and the Prophet And again, this was a woman that brought so much joy to his life and we'll talk about that inshallah, uh, just to knock out a few key incidents here. Number one, when it comes to the Hijrah, uh, the Prophet sent her, Sauda uh, and Fatima and Umm Kulthum, Umm Ayman and Usama ibn Zayd, along with uh, Zayd ibn Haritha and Abu Rafi' uh, to migrate uh, uh, on the trip to Medina. May Allah be pleased with them all. So Sauda radiallahu anha migrated amongst the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and uh, would settle with the Prophet sallallahu in Medina. And before I get to those qualities, what are some key incidents? Well, for one, in the Battle of Badr, when Suhail ibn Amr, you know, sets out with Quraysh to meet with Abu Sufyan uh, and then to ambush the Prophet ﷺ in the Battle of Badr, what we find is that Suhail was amongst those who were captured first and taken prisoner at the battle. And Abdullah, the son of Suhail, fled him and went to the other side, right? So, you know, Suhail ibn Amr, who was the brother-in-law of Sauda, comes to the battle. His son Abdullah flees and joins the Muslims at that time. And... Suhail is captured and taken prisoner at Badr. Now think about this when you're thinking about Suhail with his chest puffed out in Hudaybiyah, that the Prophet could have killed him as a captive in Badr. And he comes to the Prophet as a prisoner. And Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he says to the Prophet Ya Rasulullah. So we know that Umar radiallahu anhu has a history with Suhail ibn Amr, even in Hudaybiyah, where he wanted to take him out. He was hoping someone would just kill him and do away with him. But of course, Suhail would become Muslim and would become amongst the key voices, stopping people from becoming apostates after the death of the Prophet So here's some more history. Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu said to the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, let me knock his front two teeth out so that way his tongue will stick out and he'll never be able to, to speak against you again, 
Let me make an example out of him. Let me knock his teeth out. Let me make him look a certain way so that his tongue, which he has used against you so much, will not be used against you anymore. And the Prophet tells Umar to back off of him, to leave him alone. Uh, Suhail, as a prisoner, of course, being the, uh, you know, uh, the smart man that he was, uh, he finds a way to tell those that are holding him that he needs to use the bathroom and he runs off and he escapes and he almost gets away from Medina and then he's captured once again and he has his hands tied to his neck, which was not common, but it was done because uh, Suhail was, you know, was obviously a prisoner uh, that could get away. So Suhail is brought to the house of Sauda because that's his former sister-in-law. And Sauda looks at him and she sees him in this humiliating state and she says to him, Ya Abay Yazid, you, surround, you surrendered way too easily. You should, have, you should have at least fought till you died a noble death. And when she said that, she's forgetting, obviously, that he's fighting against the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ, he heard her and, and he said, are you energizing him against Allah and his Messenger ﷺ? Are you trying to get him to fight against Allah and his Messenger ﷺ? And uh, she apologized, obviously, and the Prophet ﷺ, he, uh, he smiled at her to put her at ease that it was okay. So at that point, the Prophet ﷺ made a comment to everyone to treat the prisoners well. And uh, of course, the Sahaba uh, mentioned that because of how they treated them uh, so well, they fed them before they fed themselves at times. And many of those that became Muslim from the captives of Badr uh, specifically remembered and recalled that example of the kind treatment that the Muslims gave to them. At Badr. So that's one key incident with Sauda anha. Another key incident is that the verse of hijab was actually revealed in response to Sauda anha. Uh, she used to go out like the wives of the Prophet to the common areas where uh, they would relieve themselves. And Umar anhu recognized her and, and he said to Sauda, we recognized you, uh, Ya Umul Mu'mineen, O mother of the believers. And Umar anhu was hoping for the ayat of hijab uh, to be revealed and the Prophet ﷺ did not respond to him until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayat in Surah An-Nur. So those verses were revealed, um, I'm sorry, in Al-Ahzab, those verses were revealed in direct connection to Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha. Now, once she moves in with the Prophet ﷺ and they settle in Medina, then Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha becomes of age and three years later, she marries the Prophet ﷺ as well, or rather she consummates the marriage with the Prophet ﷺ. And Aisha anha would look to Sauda not as a competitor, not as someone that she felt threatened by, not as someone that she was annoyed by, but rather she looked at her like an older sister and in some ways even a mother and a role model. And Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha, you know, nurtured that relationship with Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha as well. To the point that Aisha radiallahu anha said, مَا رَأَيْتُمْ رَأَةً أَحَبَّ إِلَيَّ أَنْ أَكُونَ فِي مَسْلَاخِهَا مِنْ سَوْدَ That there is no person that I love to be in the company of and follow her example than Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha. And she had a hidda, a determination to her, a strong uh, resolve and firmness to her radiallahu ta'ala anha. So she's my role model. She's the person that I wanted to emulate most uh, because of her example radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Aisha radiallahu anha loved her and considered her uh, one of her closest friends. So Sauda, being the oldest wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa as the Prophet sallallahu of course, 
uh, w- would marry more as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha always sort of plays this role of being the woman that is known for bringing joy to the Prophet sallallahu and that brings a sense of calmness to every environment that she is in. So first we see the, the way that she would joke with the Prophet sallallahu um, And you find some specific incidents. One of them is that one day she saw the Prophet sallallahu in distress and she wanted to make the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam laugh. So she said to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, she said, Ya Rasulullah, Salaytu Khalfaka Layla, Faraka'ta bi hatta amsaktu bi anfi makhafata an yaktura dam. She said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that, Ya Rasulullah, I prayed behind you last night and you took so long in your rukur that I had to hold my nose because I was afraid, makhafatan an yaktura dam, that the blood would start coming down from my nose. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he laughed sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to the point that his back teeth were visible and the sadness that was on his face disappeared. And Aisha radiallahu anha says, she used to, tudahikuhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she used to always make him laugh when she saw him saddened alayhi salatu wasalam, or that he was going through a certain things. So she brought uh, jokes and joy to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. She was also a good cook, and Aisha radiallahu taala anha was not a good cook. So you find a incident where uh, again, and these are narrations from Aisha radiallahu anha, our mother about our mother Sauda radiallahu anha, that once Aisha radiallahu anha made a dish, and uh, she had Sauda in her home with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And when the Prophet sallallahu began to eat, because Rasulullah sallallahu would eat whatever was uh, put in front of him from his spouse sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Aisha noticed that Sauda wasn't eating her food. So she told her why, and Sauda, you know, basically uh, told her that she wasn't interested in eating the food that Aisha made. So Aisha radiallahu anha says to her jokingly, she says, if you don't eat my food, then I'm going to smear it in your face. I'm going to put some of it on your face. So Sauda does not eat, and Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha playfully, uh, she puts some of the food on the face of Sauda. And Rasulullah uh, tells Sauda, you know, you should reciprocate. So Sauda radiallahu anha put some of the food back on Aisha's face and they started to laugh. And we all started to laugh. Aisha radiallahu anha says we all laughed, including the Prophet sallallahu until Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, came. And then we continued on with our day. Aisha radiallahu anha says that Sauda also uh, had a, a particular fear of a Dajjal. So we used to talk about Ad-Dajjal, and this shows you a different side of the Sahaba, right? Which is an important one, but we would talk about Ad-Dajjal to the point that she would get scared. And she she literally, one time we talked about him so much that she she hid, uh, thinking that he was going to come in the room. And the Prophet he entered into the room and he saw Aisha and Hafsa uh, laughing. And he said, where is Sauda? And they said that uh, she's afraid of a Dajjal. And so she's in the, she's in the corner over there. And Sauda radiallahu anha comes out laughing and the Prophet sallallahu laughed and Aisha laughed and Hafsa laughed and Sauda laughed. So this was a lighter side uh, to the uh, Prophet sallallahu and his companions and particularly his family uh, that we often uh, you know, don't get a, a, a lot of time to really expose ourselves uh, to. So she was someone that loved to laugh. And she loved to bring laughter to other people. And she, in that sense, was generous with her spirit. And it makes sense that her most prominent quality is her sadaqah. After her laughter, her generosity of spirit and bringing joy 
uh, to the Prophet and to the other family members of the Prophet She's known for her charity. And Aisha radiallahu anha says, Sauda was the most generous of people. Anything that came to her, she used to immediately give it in charity, whether it was a gift or something that was allotted to her as a portion. She immediately gave it in sadaqah to the point that she would prepare anything that she had and she would give it as gifts to those young girls that were getting married. So she's kind of assuming that position of being a mother to the believers in the full sense, uh, even then, right? Of course, all of uh, the wives of the Prophet are mothers, but she's taking on that role as well of giving these gifts to those uh, that are young and that are getting married. And anytime anyone sent her gifts, subhanAllah, she, she would not even look at what was sent to her. Aisha radiallahu anha says that one time Umar radiallahu anhu sent her a bucket of dirhams and she did not even look at the bucket, right? She just kept on sending it out and anything that came to her radiallahu ta'ala anha, uh, she immediately gave it up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we also find that uh, that, that uh, Sauda radiallahu anha, who again likes to sort of you know, live in obscurity, bring that joy to the life of the Prophet sallallahu does not confront anyone. No one has a complaint against her. Uh, no one says that they ever had a fight with Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha. So she's in her own world in that sense. As she becomes aged and as she, you know, she, she, she gets to a point where she is uh, old and she is not able uh, to uh, to really do much at that point, right? So Aisha radiallahu anha says she got to a point where uh, you know, she, she would walk with a very slow pace radiallahu ta'ala anha and she really could not do much. And because of that, you know, uh, she she says to the Prophet that Ya Rasulullah, la hajat ali fi rijal uh, that I'm not, uh, you know, Ya Rasulullah, I'm not interested in men. And what, what she means by that is that I'm not in a place to be intimate anymore. And the Prophet ﷺ offered to relieve her and to uh, to basically divorce her so that she would not feel the burden of a wife in that sense. And she says, Ya Rasulullah, la haja talifi rijal I'm, I'm really not uh, interested in, in, in uh, intimacy or in being married in that sense. But listen to what she says to the Prophet She says, she said, Ya Rasulullah, but I want to be resurrected on the day of judgment as one of your spouses. I want that position on the day of judgment in Jannah to be a wife of yours. So she says to the Prophet how about I give my night to Aisha radiallahu anha, but at the same time, I want to be your wife. And uh, as Aisha radiallahu anha said, tabtaghi bidharika that she was seeking the pleasure of the Prophet and also out of her love for Aisha she basically says to the Prophet that you don't have to spend my night with me but at the same time I want the status of being your wife on the day of judgment in particular. So uh, she ages quite a bit in the time of the Prophet and that's why you find the narrations uh, in the Hajj of the Prophet where he took all of his spouses وسلم, on Hajjatul Wada' on the farewell Hajj that we have the narrations about the elderly and uh, and the women that left early from Muzdarifa because Aisha radiallahu anha says that particularly Sauda who was uh, who was not able to move at a quick pace asked the Prophet وسلم, for permission to leave Muzdarifa early so that she could beat the crowds. And this is where the Prophet gave that permission to Ibn Abbas عنه, to take Sauda and to take uh, some of the elderly and some of the women 
out from Muzdarifa early on. And of course, that permission uh, relieves many uh, even until today. And we find that uh, because of that also, that after her Hajjat al-Wada' she was unique in that she never made Hajj again and she really did not leave the home much after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. So we find that when we look at the wives of the Prophet ﷺ after the death of the Messenger ﷺ, they played you know, uh, the role of teaching, they played uh, the role of conveying so much of what they learned in being in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ, especially when you talk about Umm Salama and Aisha, uh, may Allah be pleased with them. But when it comes to Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha, this woman, subhanAllah, our mother, never did hajj again, did not leave the house much at all, was not one who would narrate a hadith, was not one who involved herself in any of the political disputes of the Muslims. Her life was literally dwelling in Al-Madinah and when anything came to her of a portion, giving that in sadaqah and continuing to live her life in a way where she was at peace uh, with everyone around her, uh, living a private life, a very private life, so much so, subhanAllah, can you imagine the wife of the Prophet so much so that there is even dispute about whether she died in the year 644 up until 674, a 30 year span where Sauda radiallahu anha could have died, right? Certainly, uh, it seems after the age of 80 years old, she could have died any time in that span because of her uh, her wanting to sort of uh, you know stay to herself radiallahu ta'ala anha and live whatever was left of her life uh, pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and simply living a life of private ibadah. So with three years with the Prophet alone as his singular spouse at that time, and with the entire span of Medina, and with all that we have of her early Islam in Mecca and everything in Abyssinia, all of that and how many ahadith does she narrate? Only five ahadith, only five ahadith total from this wife of the Prophet wasallam, who lived her life in such a way. And uh, SubhanAllah, you find her generosity even continued that when she died, she asked for her room to be merged with the room of Aisha radiallahu anha to give Aisha radiallahu anha more space because she loved Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha so much. And when she died, there was not a single complaint about her. Everyone only remembered her loving and her generous spirit. And Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma in particular, by the way, when he heard of her death, he fell into sujood. And he said that I heard the Prophet say that when a sign comes to you, you should prostrate. And he said, what greater sign, what greater ayah is وسلم, is greater than the death of the wives of the Prophet So he fell into sujood and her janazah uh, was again, you know, it was not a grand janazah. She was selfless in life, selfless even in her death radiallahu ta'ala anha generous with her spirit, brought joy to the Prophet wasallam, brought joy to everyone that was around her, was our mother, the wife of the Prophet wasallam, an older sister to our mother Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha and to Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, and someone who certainly played a role that we cannot, that we cannot fully appreciate from the little information that we derive from the books, but certainly it is written with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and her joy with the Prophet ﷺ and her desire to be with the Prophet ﷺ in Jannatul Firdaus is written as she, uh, as she requested 
uh, to be that wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Al-Firdaus. So may Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala be pleased with our mother Sauda Radiallahu Ta'ala Anha, allow us to meet her, allow us to be with her, and to be with her husband, our beloved Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Jannah Al-Firdaus. Allahumma ameen, Jazakumullahu Khairan. I'll see you all next week, inshaAllah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.